So this, uh, this sermon is titled, Remaining Awake Through Your Own Life. Have you, uh, have you ever been in a, a situation where something really big and significant happened in the world and you didn't even know it was going on until after it had already taken place? People are talking about it and, and, and you slowly realize that something extraordinarily significant took place and you're just now realizing that it even occurred. Anybody ever happened to you? Yeah, it's, hap- it's happened to me for sure. Uh, and, and this is hard because life can be overwhelming. There's a lot of new parents, young parents in our church. There's a lot of people uh, who are teachers in certain places in their career, and life is overwhelming. Sicknesses, unexpected events in life that are really difficult to manage and deal with. And it, it can be challenging to keep our focus on the things that matter at different points in our life. Don't you think so? That, that our, our attention can become so divided and we start leaning on different coping mechanisms to help us through those moments. And before you know it, years have passed and, and our vision has become so foggy and we've become so disoriented, we're just kind of just kind of surviving day to day. Even if our basic needs are met, we still find ourselves living in some kind of survival mode. And so then we start missing more and more things and dropping more and more balls in our life. And in a sense, it's like we've fallen asleep to what our life was really about and we've, we've just... We're just sort of surviving through and coping through things. And I think in part, that's one of the ways, one of the things that we can look at from this passage here. And so I'm asking the question, how do we stay spiritually awake in a world where so many people are asleep? And I think that's the same sort of situation that the early Christians were wrestling with as well. They were awakened to a new purpose and plan for human life. One that had this ending in this beautiful wedding banquet that all were invited to and all would come together and eat and party at. And that that meant that we viewed our fellow human being in a way that we never had before, where Jesus would say, blessed are the peacemakers Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And, and said things like that the, the meek would inherit the earth. And said, instead of hating your enemies and going after them, pray for those who persecute you. And find a way to win them over because of your goodness and your godliness, because we're all part of one human family. So... This parable is about people who are planning and who have an idea of what the future is and how they want to work towards getting to that future and people who've lost sight of that. And it's about a wedding. And so as I was thinking about this in my own life, I was remembering this time when uh, my wife, Becky and I, we were just dating and I had... Uh, I had decided I was going to propose to her and I had gotten a ring 
and we were going out on a, uh, a date and we thought, she thought it was uh, to celebrate. We were gonna go out uh, to a restaurant for a little bit and then we were gonna go by my mom's house for, uh, for her birthday, for my mom's birthday. But really, it was a secret engagement party and I was gonna propose to her and she didn't know, but she started to suspect because we pulled up to the house, to our, the community house that we all lived in. And I said, hey, here's the plan. I'm gonna go do this while you go do that. And then we'll meet back in the car in a few minutes. And she said, that tipped her off because I never had a plan. <laughs> that something weird was going on because I said, here's the plan. And so when something big or significant, you're moving towards something like that in your life, I've gotten better. Uh, you're moving towards something big or significant in your life, it's important to have a plan. And so I had this really cool setup uh, in, in, this, in this building with you know, the, the flower petals and candles and all that stuff, and, and we did the whole, the whole thing. And we moved towards getting married. Uh, from that from that plan. So in that respect, I want to take a look at this passage and see what we can glean from it about being able to stay awake, to plan, to be spiritually aware of our lives. So in verse one, it says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So, there's a lot of you know, ideas here that aren't immediately familiar to us, but basically these 10 virgins are the accompaniment for a bride at a wedding. And there's the, a big long uh, ceremony that takes place that's years in the making in this context, in this ancient Jewish context for a wedding. And so uh, these uh, these 10 virgins, the bride, our bridesmaids, essentially. That's, that's who they are. And they're having to think ahead to what's going to be happening, and they're going to have to prepare based on what's happening in the future. And this is what we have to do all the time as human beings. I was watching our cat this morning, and the cat just stays at the back door and meows and waits to be fed. And uh, so I went out and I fed the cat. And if I look at the cat directly while it's meowing, it'll just keep meowing like a really long time. A big, long meow. It's hilarious. And I fed the cat and we have chickens. And I went and let the chickens out. And I sat down because it was so peaceful and beautiful outside because our kids wake up before 6 a.m. right now because of the time change. And I was sitting there and I was watching that cat and the cat was just kind of walking it at eight, you know, licking its you know, lips and stuff. And, and then it saw a bird and it just went into hunting mode and all that kind of, that cat doesn't think about any, anything except for what's happening in the moment. That's, that's how a cat survives. That's how all animals survive. Even if they're preparing, they're like a beaver building a dam or something like that. They're not thinking about the future like, oh, I got to prepare. I'm going to have a wife and kids or something like that. They're just sort of acting out of instinct and acting in the moment. But us as human beings, we are blessed and cursed with a knowledge of the past, present, and future all at the same time. 
And that's part of what we have to reckon with and deal with as human beings. Let's just try this for a second. Just do this with me. Right now, I want you to think about you being born in the past. I know you, weren't, you can't actually remember it, but I want you to think about the moment. Who do you think was there? What did you see when you were first born? Just go there in your mind. What was the room? What was in the room? Who was in the room? What was it like? Think about that for a second. Okay, now I want you to move into the future and I want you to think about your, your, you've lived a long life. You know, you're, you're 100 years old, you're laying on your deathbed and you're surrounded by people that love you. I want you to imagine that. Think about that picture for a moment. Okay, who's there? What are they saying? How do you feel that moment? And then now I want you to just look at this cross and notice the communion table right here. See it? Notice it? This cross is shiny, other thoughts coming to mind. You just traveled into the past and into the future and back to the present in just a couple seconds. Past, present, and future, living in all three. And so Jesus' disciples are asking him, what's the future gonna be like? If we follow you, what should we expect? There's a fancy word for it, eschatology, that we use to talk about this in, in theological terms. What will it be like when things end? When Jesus, when you do what you say you're gonna do, what is it going to be like? That's what the disciples had just finished asking Jesus. And Jesus is telling a few different stories, parables, to help them imagine what the future is gonna be like so they can better live in the present and they can better reflect on what they've experienced in the past. This is not an option. This is not something that like if you're a good Christian, you do. This is something human beings do, period. And so the disciples are asking, how do I do this as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus? How do I look towards a future? How do I interpret the past based on what Jesus says he's going to do? And Jesus tells this parable about it, that here's the situation the wedding consummation has already taken place. It's really different context, okay? So the wedding consummation meant that the bride and the groom came, to, came together and, and, and did the thing. And now after that, there's, I know, you know, we got younger ears and, and, and you know, things like that going on here. So um, then after that, we've got the bride is at her house, her parents' house, and she's with these bridesmaids. And the groom is gonna meet the bridesmaids, and then they're all gonna go into the wedding feast together. And the bride is gonna meet the groomsmen, and they're all gonna go into the wedding feast together. So those two parties are gonna go into the feast. And so this image is the image, one of them that Jesus is saying, this is what it's gonna be like at the end. When everything is fulfilled, it's gonna be this big wedding feast and party. And so verse two, it says, of these bridesmaids, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. They all became drowsy and fell asleep. You ever been running on fumes in your life? You ever felt like you really don't have anything in the tank 
and yet you still are going. You're still moving forward. You're still having to wake up in the middle of night with a child. You're still having to go to work. Even though you have days off, the boss has convinced you to do somebody else's job instead of hiring the right amount of people that are needed. And all these things I've just described are just only just Brenda's life right now, okay? <laughs> Living in a sense, metaphorically, like maybe your lamp could go out at any moment and you're just running on fumes like the, when your iPhone, when your phone, your Droid, whatever Android phone is on 1% and you just don't know. You're using Siri to try to get somewhere. Or you're using an app to try to get somewhere. It's on 1% and you don't know if you're going to make it. That's like if the message version of this parable, right? So, at the time that the disciples were hearing this parable, they were in their minds imagining this stuff's gonna get wrapped up quick. And so we can hold on a little bit longer. We can kind of stick to this stuff a little longer, live in this way that Jesus is talking about a little bit longer, and then Jesus is gonna swoop in and kind of fix everything and save everybody. And all we got to do is hang on a little bit longer. So if we're running on fumes, it'll probably be okay because Jesus will show up and the fumes won't make a difference and it'll be, everything will be good. It'll be okay. And then he tells this parable and says, hey, uh, the bridegroom's going to be late, essentially. Like it's going to be you think it's gonna happen soon. You think it's gonna happen at the time you expect, but it's not going to. And, and then he says, and there's people who are ready to wait well, and they have what they need to be able to wait for this and to, and to make the path to this wedding party clear and to have the light needed to make it there and to have the celebration and have the party. And there's gonna be people who in vain are thinking, I don't need to really take responsibility for myself because Jesus will take care of that. Jesus will take care of all those things for us so I can just kind of, you know, exist and, uh, and, and lean on somebody else for that. Now, there's, there's another part of this parable here. Um, by the way, I've done that before in my life. I don't know about you, but just just ran myself ragging and hoped somebody else would pick up the slack for me when I needed them to. Just didn't, I, I mean, I'm still, I still do that sometimes in my life right now. Um, there, there's another way to, to look at this oil uh, and, and what it might mean in the context of the biblical language. And that's that this oil represents righteousness and mercy and justice. The teachings and the enactment of Jesus's teachings. And so uh, in a previous parable, he tells about a man, uh, a, a servant who was entrusted to take care of things while the master was gone. And instead of doing what he was supposed to, he beat up the other servants and he got drunk on the master's wine all the time. Right. And so the master comes back and he's like, hey, how, how'd things go? And uh, the servant's like, not too good, you know, and that didn't end well for the servant. And so there's this, also this idea of what are you actually doing with your life and the time that you have to make this reality 
that Jesus is ushering in and bringing forth more possible and more apparent in your life, the oil that you have to shine the light, the city on the hill, those types of things. So that oil can represent things like practicing Sabbath and rest, mercy and justice, prayer and intercession, just speaking good news with your lips, speaking hope and possibility in a world of crushing capitalism where you're just supposed to be surviving. Of course, you're supposed to be surviving off fumes. You're supposed to forget the oil. You need more coffee. You need more caffeine. That's what you need, not oil. You just be tired and work and put that caffeine drip in. So the moment when Christ returns, We look towards this event where things will be made right. That's the hope that we have, that things will be made right. But I also think looking at this parable, we can think about moments where we realize we have an epiphany about, I know it's not epiphany season, but have an epiphany about our lives and the way that we've been living. The moment that we realize we're trying to borrow something from somebody else that's supposed to be ours to get for ourselves. Oh, that's, that's stepping on somebody's toes. Verse six um, says, at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom. So all the bridesmaids, they were waiting and they fell asleep. Some of them had oil, some of them didn't. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The virgins are the bridesmaids. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Now, maybe at this point, I don't know if it feels harsh to you or not, but in verse nine, you know, it says, no, the, the responsible ones, the wise ones said, no, we're not gonna give you some of our oil because there might not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. Here is, uh, this is kind of a hard thing to say, and maybe you might not totally agree with me about this, but unless you're um, handicapped uh, physically or mentally or um, in, in, the, in, in the last kind of the, in, in an elderly stage or you're a, a small child, um, you're responsible for yourself. Jesus isn't, God isn't, nobody else is responsible for you except for you. So there are, there are certain things only you can do for yourself. And the sooner that you stop expecting somebody else to bail you out in those areas of your life, the better your life will be. Have you ever tried taking care of somebody else for things that, they should be doing themselves. You ever tried that? I'm not talking about kids. We have to do that with kids constantly. Xavier had a meltdown about putting his socks on this morning before church, and, uh, and, and he, he knows how to put his socks on, and we've done this many, many times. I, I'm talking about, like, when I'm, when I'm caretaking, you know, my wife, and she's talking about something in her, her day, and I'm like, well, what if you did this, and what if you did that? Maybe that would work out better for you. 
right? Do you think that goes well? Just guess, just a poll. Anybody wanna guess if I do those things? So when you give unsolicited advice, when you try to make somebody's life better, somebody's like, oh, I'm really struggling with this. And sometimes it's a perfect matchup because there's somebody that wants their problems that only they can solve to be solved by somebody else. And there's somebody else that, that so badly just needs to try to solve everybody else's problems in their life to avoid their own life and their own responsibilities. But it never works. This doesn't work. It creates tired, exhausted people who are hoping for something that they will never receive. And so they say, can we borrow some of this oil? No, you can't. Well, you gotta buy your own. What if we give you some of our oil and we're all walking there and all of our lanterns go out at the same time? Nobody gets there because you're asking for me to take responsibility for you. So when we neglect our own physical health, our own mental health, we expect somebody else's spirituality, a friend, a pastor, a spouse, to substitute for our own. It ends up in some kind of disaster and the consequences reach beyond us. These, these bridesmaids, they are 50% of what's supposed to make this wedding banquet happen on, on the bride's side and they aren't ready. They're not ready to do what they're supposed to do. <laughs> Uh, you ever seen that little video of that little girl whose parents taught her to say, worry about yourself, and they're asking her about putting on her car seat, buckling her car seat, and the dad's like, do you need some help? And she said, worry about yourself. You know, she's repeating what she heard. He's like, well, what, what do you want me to do? How can I help? And she goes, you drive. <laughs> worry about yourself. Uh, here, here, here's, here's something that I think that I've needed to hear at different points in my life. And I think I wanna share it with you from this passage. See, the gospel saves us from our sin. It doesn't save us from responsibility. We're saved from sin to be responsible with our lives. We're not saved from our lives so that we don't have to be responsible anymore. And I think that's, that's kind of the fantasy, that's the dream, is that somebody will take the burden of responsibility for our lives off of us. We don't really want it, because when somebody starts actually trying to do it, we're like, hey, you know, you're messing, you're, you're doing too much. But that's what I hear Jesus saying and making clear to us in parable after parable. You're saved from sin, not responsibility. <laughs> uh, there was one time we were on a, on a road trip recently and I realized how low on gas we were. And uh, we, were, we were out on a, like a country road somewhere. And, uh, and, you know, Becky and I were talking about it at a gas station. And I told her, yeah, I've never run out of gas before. And, uh, and that was, in hindsight, you know, reflecting on my past. That was the worst possible thing I could have said to, to Becky in that moment. It was almost like, well, it's never happened before. Probably isn't gonna happen this time. So in that moment, I was responsible 
for literally the gas in the tank, the oil for the fire, for the combustion of that engine. And if I, when, when I said something that indicated maybe I wasn't in that moment as responsible, it didn't go well. It's not a, it's not a helpful thing in life when we get to that moment. So the folks, uh, the folks in this passage, the five wise ones, five foolish ones, they all fell asleep. There's a point we all fall asleep at the wheel of our life. But the things that we have done up to that point will either sustain us when we come back to, or they'll leave us in an emergency situation where now, because we've neglected ourselves for so long and said, I'm fine, I don't need help, we didn't reach out for the things that we needed, and we didn't take responsibility to put those things into practice, now we are a mess that now we can't help ourselves anymore. It's too late, you can't go buy oil at 12 a.m. at night, it's not gonna happen. The purchasing of the oil, the oil costs something. You can't keep all of the dysfunction in your life and, and expect to somehow get the oil without trading something out. You gotta give something to get something. When we get to Lent next year, Lent is about you give up something in your life that sure it's helped you cope but you're giving it up to help discipline yourself to also put something new into place to help you become more of who God made you to become. That's, that's, that's the blessing and the curse of being human. My cat doesn't have to wonder, what is it like to be fully a cat? To, to really you know, think about this future and my past and, and let God shape me and form me and be responsible. It just has to like hunt squirrels when it sees a squirrel and meow when it's hungry. But that we don't have that luxury, we have the glory and the curse that we have to actually figure out who we are. And we won't be satisfied until we've taken responsibility for our own life. Because the very first thing that you have been given as an adult to manage and to be a steward of is yourself, is you. And as long as we abdicate that to somebody else, we get mad because somebody else couldn't read our minds, couldn't reach out to us when, when we were suffering silently. As long as we have that kind of perspective, we will not be able to become who we could be. So the bridesmaids in verse 10, they, they went out there. They went out to go try to buy oil. And uh, when, when they were out trying to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived and the ones that were ready went to the wedding banquet. So you know, I mean, if you don't learn how to dance ahead of time, you're not gonna be ready to do it at the party. You know, if, if you're like, well, let me do dance lessons two hours before the party, well, you're not, you're gonna miss out. You're not gonna be ready. 
You're not gonna have the, have the light. You're not gonna be in that, in that kind of place. If, if there's anything that I hear urgency in this from Jesus is to say, don't wait to change, to do what you need to do to start bringing about the transformation that I've shown you is possible. You are not a random collection of atoms. You are not some accidental birth somewhere on this spinning globe, that you were actually made in the image of God and you were made for a great and powerful purpose in this world. You were saved to responsibility for your life, not from it. That there is no such cheap of a salvation and anyone peddling it is distorting the words and the stories and the gospels of Jesus. So what are the things you wanna change? Do you have confession? That's another part of uh, the practices of a, a follower of Jesus. It's confession. Am I, am I gonna admit I have an addiction and that's controlling my life and I can't really hear or deal with much anything else because that's going on and I just need to start there. Do I have compulsive behaviors that are absorbing all of my energy and I have, I cannot, I keep spinning the same thing in my head and I need to offer that up to, the, to somebody who can help me and who's willing to help me so that I can free up that energy so I can take care of myself, so I can take care of the things in my life that are my responsibility. How can you make a step to stop expecting somebody else to take care of your emotional health, your physical health? What steps can you make to own those things for yourself. I'm not saying you can't have help. I'm not saying you can't say, hey, will you help remind me of this? I used, used to, Becky would tell me something. I'm like, I'm not going to remember that. I'm going to try. Could you write it on a sticky note for me? You know, I need sticky notes. That's what I need. I need a sticky note up on somewhere and let me start moving towards other ways, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember these things, but here's what I'm asking for. Here's what I need. And it's so funny. Uh, when I started ministry in my adult life, the places and the, the circles I was in is like therapy was only for somebody who was like, had done some horrible thing, you know, and got caught. And now it's kind of flipped where it's like, well, I'll talk to my therapist about that. But I'm telling you this uh, as your friend, and your pastor, all therapy ain't good. It's not all useful. Some therapists suck, just like some doctors suck, some pastors suck. And just because you're going to see a therapist doesn't mean that, you're com that you are coming out with healthy coping mechanisms for life or that you are gaining a better vision for the future just because now you have a therapist. I go to a therapist, I get a lot out of it. I had to go through a few to get to the one that, that actually was helping me uh, do the thing, work I needed to do in my life, in my past, in, my, in those things. So I'm not, so Jamin said therapy's not good. Don't walk away with that. I'm saying that your life never stops being your responsibility unless it actually physically, mentally is no longer your responsibility. So let's do that. Let's take responsibility.
Let's admit we need help and let's not wait until we're in the middle of a huge emergency in our life, in our marriages, in our finances until we ask for help and we decide it's time to change. I can't, there, I can't read all y'all's minds. I can't know when you're about at a breaking point. I can check in with you. I can ask you questions. But if you don't tell me the truth, that's, that's your job to show up and do that and to tell the truth to folks that you know are there to help guide you. So let's do that. I'm going to do that. In the last couple of verses, it says, 11, 12, and 13. Later, the others came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch. In other words, stay awake because you do not know the day or the hour. This doesn't mean having a hypervigilance to life, but living with purpose, not living with a let me out, let me act out some righteous life when it's visible and beneficial to me, that's hypocrisy, but showing up and getting the help that I need. So I'm gonna close with this. My, uh, when, we, when we were getting married, like the day before, or a couple days before, I'm not sure, my baby brother showed up. He was living in, I think, California at the time. And he showed up to my house and he was, he's a, uh, a groom in the wedding and he had lost his wallet. Somehow, somehow he, he got here post 9-11 on an airplane without ID. I, the way he, he makes it survives through life, I have no, I have no clue how this, how this works. Um, so he makes it there. He has no shoes for the wedding. Like he had, I think he had the shirt and the pants he needed. He had no shoes, no money, and no ID. And so I took him to the store before my wedding and bought him the shoes he needed for my wedding. And then he was ready for the wedding and we got there. And you know what? That happens. Happens in life. I'm not saying be perfect, get it all figured out right away. Sometimes somebody's got to buy us shoes. But if he hadn't told me he didn't, he didn't have the shoes and he didn't have the money, he couldn't have been my groomsman because he would have been up there looking, looking all out of sorts, right? All right, let's pray. So Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that it can be a gift to us to own our lives, to own that responsibility, to look forward to the promised kingdom of heaven, that beautiful wedding banquet, that celebration of life and reality and who you've made us to be and what you've invited us into. I ask that you give each one of us the courage to own that, to own the life you've given us, the one life that you've given us. Amen.